come in and eat with you and you and me. You're knocking at the door this morning. Grant us the ability to open that up. Open it up to him. Open up your door. And come in and eat this bread. Jesus, pray against boredom. Pray against that just stale feeling that we get coming here every single week. You're a wonderful God and you do amazing things. And I'm praying for that to happen this morning. Amazing things to happen. Speak to our hearts, challenge us, convict us, Holy Spirit. And thank you for this time, this opportunity. Okay, Acts 4. This has been great, right? This is intense. What have you guys been learning over the past couple weeks? Just doing a recap since we do the every other Acts and then Rod and then Acts. What's going on in Acts? You guys remember? What do you learn? Peter heals the beggar. Pardon? Peter heals the beggar. Peter healed the beggar. The crippled man last week. Or Westerholm did that one. Anything else? Pentecost. Chelsea. Okay, we got the ascent. We got uh, Jesus going up. The spirit coming down. People going out. That's easy to put it. Uh, we have... Uh, Healings, we got miracles going on. We got Peter's shadow as he walks by, healing people. Anything else jumping out to you guys? That one's particularly interesting to me. We've got Koinonia happening. Everybody's coming together. We're having like, what, 3,000 people who are just loving God, loving each other. They're sharing everything. There's miracles. There's repentance. There's baptism. This is awesome. Ain't this what we want? Everything's going well. And everybody's like, this is what God wants, right? He suffered so I don't have to suffer. Jesus suffered so I get to just love life. Wrong. Maybe if you stopped after Acts 3. Maybe. What did Jesus say? Anybody that follows me has to daily pick up his cross, carry it, deny himself and follow him. What did Paul say? Anybody that desires to lead a godly life will face persecution. Acts 4, the beginning of the persecuted church. This is the pushback. And as long as, long as time will go before Jesus comes back, we will get pushed back. And this is a, this is a picture of what, what we're going to do when we get pushed back, okay? This is the beginning of it. It's only the beginning. All these guys die. <laughs> Except for John. He gets worse. He doesn't get to die <laughs> until he's old. Anyways, so don't be confused, okay? The gospel is not something that just makes your life better here. The gospel is not something that just gives you stuff now. Gospel is satisfaction in Jesus Christ only. Take my stuff or give me stuff. I'm satisfied in him only. That's what we're reading. That's what we believe in. And now we're actually. Okay, so they're still in Jerusalem. The being a great witness, I mean, that's the last thing Jesus said to them to be is a witness. They do a good job of that. Every chapter up to now, that's all they're doing. They haven't exactly like left Jerusalem yet, but still they're doing a great job. Okay, we're in Jerusalem. 
and verse 1 says, no, verse 2. Actually, let's go back to verse 1. While they were speaking, the people and the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. I'm reading that. What's jumping out? Really quick. Came upon them. Great choice of words. Luke, where else do we find that? Acts 1.8. What's the last thing that Jesus said to these guys? Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. I just want to point that out. Enemies, Satan can't think of anything better than what God does. That's just the, that's the point. There isn't any greater ideas than what God does. Enemy knows that. And so he's going to do stuff that looks just like that, but a little bit different. The thing that's coming to mind right now is marriage. Really great thing. Not exactly following Jesus. You're going to get influenced to do something a lot like that, but it's not, right? You see what I'm saying? Enemy likes to do things that are like what God does, but not. Um, not the point of the verse. I just thought it jumped out at me, so I'd say something about it. Um, they were greatly annoyed. Okay, they were just a little annoyed. They were greatly annoyed. Why? Because uh, the apostles were teaching the people, even though they weren't exactly educated to do that, and they were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Why? Remember Acts 1 verse 3 when Jesus stayed here for 40 days and gave many convincing proofs concerning that he was alive? You know why he was doing that? Because that's the whole point of everything. If Jesus didn't get raised from the dead, we do not get raised from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 19, right? Or 15, 16, and 19. If he wasn't raised from the dead, we got nothing. Our preaching's in vain. Our, our faith is in vain. We have nothing. And so, of course, that's what these guys are preaching. Problem is, Sadducees think that that is false. They shouldn't think that's false because Jesus already smoked these guys. I don't know if you remember that. Um, in Matthew... Thing. Jesus shows up with these guys asking questions, and they say, well, um, Jesus, there's this widow, hypothetically speaking, and she's got a husband, he dies, she marries another guy, he dies, blah, blah, blah. When they go to heaven, who's married to who? And Jesus is like, you guys, you're just trying to mess with me. That's not the point. He goes to these guys. They love the first five books of the Bible, so he takes them to Exodus, and he's like, you remember Moses in the burning bush? What did God say? I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. He's the God of the living and not of the dead. So these guys know that there's a resurrection of the dead. They're still just, they still don't believe that. I don't know why I can't give you an answer for that. I do read that in Luke 20, 27. They still don't believe. And in Acts 23, 8, they blatantly say, we do not believe in this. So even though Jesus spoke with them, nevertheless, they still don't think it's true. And so while Peter and John are right in the middle of the sentence, verse 1, they show up and they arrest these guys. Verse 3, they put them in jail to the next day. Notice how still didn't stop the message from being believed. Nice try. Preach it, guys. Preach it wherever you are. You never know what might happen. Speak the word out of who Jesus is and what it means because 5,000 people just might be like, we want that. Or you might get arrested. Or both. That happened here. Um, so I don't know why they get It's just, I do know why, but it just seems, I start to ask questions at this point while I'm reading. Okay, they're just like, heal, they healed this, this crippled man. Remember that in chapter three, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, and now there's walk. He, and then they like have all the attention of everybody. And so they 
take the opportunity to <laughs> preach them. And they do another good thing by all these hurt religious people who are just following the rule. They don't have a clue. He, he, he shows them the gospel and he teaches them. They believe it. They receive it. They get healing. And they're like, ah, you heal the cripple, you heal my heart too. And it's all good. And then all of a sudden you got, arrest that man. <laughs> I can, this is kind of random, right? I mean, he's doing good stuff. And they're like, clap them in irons. And it's not even subtle. I mean, it's Peter and John, two guys. And they've got to get the priests and the captain of the guard. They've got to get the Sadducees together. They're probably like, get Malchus. And he's like, no, last time I went with you guys, my ear got cut off. Remember that? I'm not going. I'm not going there. Subtle. Trying to understand these guys, okay? I mean, I'll level with you guys. I sing this song growing up. I don't want to be sad, you see. You know that one? Because they're so sad, you see. It doesn't make a lot of sense. It's just sort of, it doesn't tell you who the Sadducees are, but I know the song, I just want to be a sheep, right? Um, I'm reading Malachi. I go to Matthew. All of a sudden, in Matthew 3, we got Pharisees, Sadducees. In Matthew 5, Jesus is like, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you're not going to get in. Who are these guys? Where did they come from? This weird name, Pharisee. This weird name, Sadducee. What is that? Well, just read the gospel. I mean, God's given us what we need. So I'm going to see out of collaborating all the times that these guys are showing up who these guys are. Okay, so some not so bad things about the Sadducees. These are the guys that just arrested Peter and John. They hold the high priestly position. Okay, so the high priest, every time you see the word high priest, show up in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, or whatever, this is the Sadducee. Um, Caiaphas, that's one of them. He's the guy who, he's in John 11, and he's saying, uh, it, it's better that this Jesus guy dies for the people rather than everybody be led astray, the whole nation perish. He starts the whole thing on getting, getting Jesus put to death. Okay, that's a Sadducee. You got Amos, the Sadducee. Um, you've got, they're, they're uh, they hold the majority of the Sanhedrin. Okay, that's another word that's kind of, what's the Sanhedrin? In Exodus, or somewhere in the Old Testament, I can't think of it right now, but I remember the story. Moses has having problems with everybody, and so his father-in-law, Jethro, is like, you guys got to get more people to help you with these crimes and these small things. And so he, he gets 70 people, 71 including him, to do this thing called the Sadducee, or called the Sanhedrin, and they help rule in regards to the law. And so the, Sanhe uh, the Sadducees are a big part of that. Sadducees love Torah. They love the first five books of the Bible. They love it so much that they don't really even believe the rest of the Old Testament. They don't even believe you can expound on it. They just, they just love it. Okay, those are the not-so-bad things of the Sadducees. Sadducees, this is the bad thing. They hate Jesus. That's a big problem with me. They're not the good guys after that. John the Baptist in Matthew 3, 7, he calls these guys a brood of vipers. Sadducees have a rule for them. They're not allowed to put people to death who have offended the law. Okay, so here's a clue. If you need to have a rule made up for you not to kill people, you got problems. <laughs> Josephus, Jewish historian, mentions these guys a few times, and I'll read a quote for you. And he writes, the behavior of the Sadducees towards one another is in some degree wild. Their conversation with those that are of their own party is as barbarous as if they were strangers to each other. These are the Sadducees. 
They're typically extremely wealthy people. They're in bed with the Romans, and they love controlling the political city of Jerusalem through the church. They got their teeth sunk deep in the politics of Jerusalem. Um, that's why, uh, yeah, me and my brother, Andrew, I, I kind of mentioned last time I was here, me and my brothers have kind of some funny stories. Well, well, some of the stuff that we used to do is just like, we grew up in the church, putting ourselves in the shoes of biblical stories. Our videos, I didn't bring a video of it, but it's just something we like to do. You kind of, you know, get into the boat with Jesus, you know, and you kind of just make your own words up and you're like, we actually take it a little too far. We just start joking. We get into character really easily. You know, there's this one in Matthew 16 where it's like Jesus gets in the boat with them after they have the whole feeding of the 5,000. He's like, beware of the yeast, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. And one of the disciples said, he said that to us because we forgot to bring the bread. <laughs> and some of our brothers are like, we had 12 baskets of bread left over for the 5,000. We didn't bring any of it. And then, well, I'm over here like, I'm getting hungry because we're talking about bread. And Jesus is like, you guys, this is not the point. Beware of the yeast of the Sadducees. What's going on with that, guys? I think we need to pay attention to that to see who these guys are. Let it mirror into our life. The Sadducees love having control. And they do things when their control and their authority is called into question that are less than the strict sense of the word legal. Okay, they're, um, well, they killed Jesus. When they started with problems, what they had problems with them is, is, in my mind, I don't think they love God. I mean, yeah, they love the Torah and stuff, but what's the problem with Jesus? He's saying, I'm God. That's a huge authority problem with these guys who love authority. They bring him into trial in the middle of the night. They say, are you the son of God? And he says, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power. They tear their clothes and they're like, no. They got problems. This is the Sadducees. The God of the Sadducees control. I'm going to bring that home. We got a control problem too. And so let's just talk about it for a minute. Do they really have control? I mean, look at what Jesus is doing after they supposedly did everything that they could do. He's healing people. He got 3,000, 5,000 people following him. They don't really have control. Do we even have control? And I don't even think it's having control that's really the problem, guys. I think it's this word, need. Okay, Sadducees need to be in authority. They need to have control. I need to be number one. I need to be the boss. I need to do this. I need it. And why not? It promises so much being an authority. Deliver so little really long term. I mean, look at this. goes way back to Eve. If you eat that fruit, you will not surely die. For God knows that you will become like God in knowing knowledge of good and evil. Eve, you got to have the fruit. You need to have it. Imagine what you could do with that, having that knowledge. Get control of that. The tale is all this time. Cain needed to be on top, right? See, the persecution of the church is new. Abel serving God, he's getting killed for it. This thing is nothing new. Got to control that. This control thing is a huge problem. What's controlling your life? What's controlling the decisions that we're making on a day-to-day -day basis? Because this is a really heavy topic to talk about because we're surrounded by 
control loving people. Our society is consumed by having control and authority. We are, we are mesmerized by the people who have the most power and the control. And we constantly are checking up on We're constantly wanting to have some say in things and having some control. Am I right or do we have an issue here at times? I mean, because we think we control so much. I control where I go to college. I control what I am when I grow up or if I am anything when I grow up. I control where I live. I control who lives with me. I control what I talk about. I control who I talk about it with. I control where I eat. I control where I sleep. I control where I, I control everything. I'm, I don't want to be the boss. And it doesn't stop there. Holy Spirit comes in Sunday morning or whatever morning and you're like, oh, I'm being king of my life. I didn't stop being king of my life. And, and you're like, God, I give control to you. And then all of a sudden you say, what? I got to control this sin in my life. I got to get that thing under control. That's the only way we can stop this thing. We give, what's the carry under what? Jesus, take the wheel, right? I mean, that's, we just got to give it up. Give up control. This is the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Beware of the yeast of the Sadducees, you guys. Do not be proud this morning. If you're trying to find control, you're not going to find it. Everything that you have control of could be gone like that. Try and find Jesus instead. Come on. So, these guys arrest Peter and John because they got a problem. What problem? Okay, they killed Jesus. <laughs> And he's still working through things, Peter and John, because of Jesus, this man is healed. And that makes the Sadducees look really bad. <laughs> That's a big problem. The guy that they just killed is still doing stuff. So what do they do? They try and control the problem. They arrest him. Get this thing under control. Get them in jail. They bring him before the Sanhedrin, and they, they, they start questioning him. And Peter's response through the Holy Spirit just astonishes them. It brings them to silence. That's never happened before. I've never seen these guys not talking. Maybe once. And it's funny to me what they actually recognize about these guys. Um, Peter says this astonishing response to them, and they're like, these guys are surely uneducated and common men who's been with that guy that we killed. What? <laughs> Take that home. If you're trying to get approval from the world, you're probably never going to get it. It doesn't matter how cool you are or what you do through the Spirit. The world is just looking at you for all your flaws, right? Notice with me for a minute the things that the Sadducees did not recognize from these guys. Peter and John didn't have the smallest wisp of entitlement. Can't do this to me. I don't deserve this. Get me out. I didn't do anything wrong. Is up there? Not arrogant? You're not standing there like, look at the miracles we did, Sadducees. You can't do no miracles. Rest me. Selfish, not anything. What's most amazing about these guys? They're not ashamed at all. Think about it for a minute. Not even that long ago, Peter and John ran away from these guys in the garden. This is the first time they see them after that. I'd be ashamed. I think there's something going on in these guys. Maybe there's something going on in these guys' mind. What do you think? 
Peter and John sitting there in jail. Who's the guard there? Maybe it's Malchus. You know, maybe it's his cousin. They're like, hey, who did Peter deny Jesus to? Read it. The people who made the fire were these guys. <laughs> and Peter's woman up by the fire. He denies Jesus right to them. And so now what? They're sitting in jail. And they're like, I know who you are, Peter. I wish you did. Call yourself, follow, you call yourself a Christian? You, ran, you denied him. You ran in the garden and you denied him. Coward. Well, Peter and John, they know who we really are. They tell everybody. Everybody's going to know what we did. Everybody's going to see this now. They're not going to believe anymore because we're hypocrites. We're worse than them. They're going to bring us in front of the Sanhedrin and we don't, we don't know what to say. I mean, we... We don't have the Bible memorized like that. They're going to smoke us. Then they're going to kill us. What are we going to do? Yeah, so shame's a big deal, guys. And I just, I don't want to bring any shame in the room by pointing stuff out. That's not the way this works, okay? It's just a dangerous game. You got shame, and then you got condemnation. I'm trying to go with the conviction to repentance thing. Those are very similar Yet one is super dangerous. Read Acts 1, 18. What happens to Judas? It eats you from the inside out. Shame. You hear that voice. I know what you did, Peter. I know who you are inside. I've seen all your failures. You're filthy. God can't use you. This wasn't a part of the plan. Jesus told me to, to go out and preach and I'm in jail. I'm ashamed of myself. Who's got that gun to their head? Who's got that monkey on their back here this morning? Who's got the shame thing that says, because of all the sin that you did, you cannot be used by God. Because of all the sin, you can't really be a free Christian who walks in the newness of life. Who's listening to that voice? Because you don't have to listen to it. Colossians 2, 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses, the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive with him, having forgiven us all of our sin by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. These he set aside by nailing it to the cross. Apostles are like, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. There's no shame here, guys. Guys, removed your sin as far as the east is from the west and it's cast into the bottom of the sea. I think this wasn't a part of the plan. This is a part of the plan. Read Luke 12. I'll read it to you. Luke 12, 11. It's always been a part of the plan. Jesus says to the disciples, and when they bring you before the synagogue, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and authorities, do not be anxious about what, how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. You gotta fight to be in control, guys. The Holy Spirit speaks through you. You have to be ashamed, guys. The Holy Spirit's there with you. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And you can say it. There is salvation in no one else. He's with me. So, unashamed, Peter, who's accepted God's forgiveness for him, speaks out of the Spirit to these guys. Let me read it to you. Verse 8. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, 
If we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a cripple and by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is Peter's response, and it hushes the whole crowd. Unashamed. So Peter goes from why you think we're here to why we're really here <laughs> that quick. Thought I was here for a good deed done. I'm here. I'm going to let you know what's up. Peter preaches the gospel to the Sadducees that just killed Jesus. And that's the truth of it, guys. When the gospel and the magnitude of God's grace for all of us is inside of you deeply, you realize that this is for everyone. There needs to be people who are willing to preach to the Sadducees. That's not an easy thing to do. There is a need in this, for people to preach to people on Three Mile, and for people to preach in Myers, and for people to preach in Alpine. You guys, this is for everyone. Let it mess with you, because there's people that don't know that there is no other name for which we're, we must be saved. I don't know if these guys accept it yet or not, but I do know, I kind of like putting personalities together by kind of different portions of scripture. And I think these guys are going a little crazy. I think shame is driving these Sadducees a little bit crazy. Why I think that is this verse in John 8, verse 23. Let me read it to you. Jesus says to these guys, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, you will know that I am He. When you've crucified me, you can realize what you did. I think they're dealing with shame. I mean, Jesus said they're going to realize who it was. And once they realize, they got a bomb dropped on them. And so now they're ashamed. And they're like, we got to arrest these guys. Let's get, I don't want people to know what we did. Read chapter 5, okay? They're burning with jealousy because of the apostles' teaching. And they take them into jail and they beat them up. Chapter 7, they're literally plugging their ears and they're screaming at the top of their lungs. They take it anymore and they kill Stephen. They don't stop killing after that either. You guys are hurting. Hurting for certain. And I think it gets worse. Peter quotes a really popular song, all right? And it's this one that they, they say all the time at the Feast of Booths. They say, oh, you know, Psalm 18, a portion of that. This is a song that they say in, uh, when, in Palm Sunday when Jesus was riding on the donkey. There's this Psalm 18, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This psalm testifies to just God's enduring love. His love endures forever. This is the psalm that says, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. And they tie it to Jesus. But I think it gets worse than that because this psalm also brings up a really sour memory that these guys have with Jesus. Now just in personal study, Neil's been kind of pushing the reality of that we're all able to study the Bible just like anybody else, okay? And so I'll let you in on my personal study. How do I make that connection? It's because Luke wrote Acts and Luke wrote Luke. And so I look in both of those for just like, Similarities and things that connect. It's that simple. Peter, 
What's he saying right now? Talking about the stone, the cornerstone. Anybody remember where else that shows up? Peter says that in his own letter. Chapter 2, he's all about the stone. The end of this thing where John is like, how can we testify by anything other than what we've seen and heard? That's totally John's story, man. Read 1 John chapter 1. Read John chapter 1. Read Revelations. This is all he says. We're testifying to what we've seen. And so you can make that connection yourselves too. This is one that I made because Luke in chapter 20 has this interesting story with these same guys. I'll read it to you quick. Okay, verse 1. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel... Who shows up? The chief priests, the scribes, with the elders, they came up to him and said to him, Tell us by what authority you do these things. <laughs> authority. And then skipping down, that's who's, that's who's in the conversation. Verse 9. Jesus began to tell the parable. A man planted a vineyard and let out his tenants and went to another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat the servant up and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but they beat him up and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. He sent a third. This one they wounded and cast out, and then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do, Jesus said. He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And everyone who falls on that stone will be broken into pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him that very hour. For they perceived that he had told this parable against them. I mean, it doesn't get any clearer than that. Peter's like, wake up, guys. You remember this guy? You remember him? What he says comes true. Don't you see? You're the builders. He's the cornerstone. He's the one who makes sense of all of this religion. He holds it together. Everything that you stand for is through him. All the prophets, they spoke about him in the Old Testament. The, this is the guy who fulfills the covenant that, that God promised to Abraham and your precious Torah. You can only be saved by him. You can only be rescued by him. Come to him with your crippled leg. Come to him with your broken heart. Don't reject him again. Because you know what happens when the stone falls on it. It's going to crush it into pieces. Salvation comes from no one else, Sadducees. It doesn't come from thinking really hard and meditating doesn't come from money. doesn't come from control. You can't control yourself into salvation. Self-control. You can't. Salvation doesn't come from following all of the rules of the Old Testament. Salvation comes from no one else but Jesus. And there is no other name for which we say. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is what the Holy Spirit is saying to the Sadducees. What's he saying to you? He's here. Let him speak to you. 
see calling out the control freak inside of you, the controlling. See, he's calling out the Sadducee inside of you. Don't be proud. Maybe he's calling you guys out of your comfort zone a little bit. These guys as an example of going to jail for the name. Calling you just to, is it messing with you at all that this is the only name that, that can save people? And there are people on the planet that don't know this name. Starting fire in you that you got to go tell some people that if you need permission. I, go, go tell people about this name. If you're waiting for somebody to tell you to do it, go do it. There's only one name. Is it messing with you? Let it. There's people that don't know this name. Is it convicting you because you're ashamed? Does this bring you, does this embarrass you at all? Are you, are you afraid of your boss more? Are you, are you afraid of, who? who is it? I mean, are you ashamed of this gospel? Are you ashamed of the truth? Is, it, is, it, is there something there? Let's point it out. Let him speak to you. So, wrapping things up. The story of how the church goes from 12 to today, 2.1 billion isn't just because they went to jail. People go to jail today. It is just because they're suffering. I know that that's a big emphasis that the church grows because of suffering and persecution. That's almost true. Suffering happens every day. That doesn't make the church grow. Church grows because people in the church are willing to say, we will suffer for this man who suffered for us. They're willing to say, in the light of the sufferings of Jesus Christ, I give him the only thing that I can give. The greatest gift that I can give him myself. That's when the church grows. And it grows when the gun is pointed, and it grows when it's not. Because people give themselves to this. You give yourself to it. You want to see the revival happen? Respond to Jesus' sufferings in some way. Christianity is a response. Not, I will give myself to Jesus only if he makes my life better. Only if he gives me a Mercedes Benz. Only if he, he makes my family work out. Only if he makes my marriage work out. So I'll give my life to him then. How about I will give my life to Jesus even if my marriage doesn't work out, even if my job doesn't work out, even if I do not get my health back, even if I get the Mercedes Benz, even if I get all this money, even if, not only if. That's what Stephen said. Even if they kill me. So we'll get Greg back in the room. I don't know where he is. He's probably off praying somewhere. But um, the big takeaway of this deal is, to me, the practically this one phrase, God can satisfy you in any circumstance. I didn't get that till recently, okay? I uh, ran into somebody in my comings and goings. I can't really give you all the details that this person has a massive weightiness right now. Family's falling apart. Marriage is falling apart. Kids are being taken. So I answered, Jonathan, I'm going to pray for this person. 
start off a song, you know, just speaking truth to the situation. All of a sudden, in the middle of what I'm doing, this person's like, okay, I'm going to pray for you. Pray for protection over me. They start, they start praying for me, and they just base it off of, God, you satisfy me. I do not deserve anything. And I'm just, I'm just smoked. I'm cheering up. I'm just like, that's it. That's the point. Peter and John. It doesn't end well for these guys, according to the world. Peter gets crucified upside down. I could go through the list. Everybody gets killed. Some in ways that just completely brutal. Death. What kind of gospel am I preaching here? What's the world say to that? I want to join up with this thing that everybody gets killed for? Yeah, right. I'll tell you what message it is to the world. And what it should be is this. I am satisfied by God and he can satisfy me. What satisfies you? Psalm 107, 9. God satisfies the thirsty soul. He satisfies me with, with good things. He can satisfy in a world where the glass always runs out. Jesus says, I'm the living water drinker me. You'll never thirst again. In a world where the bread always runs out and Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Eat of me. You'll never be hungry again. That's that's worth dying for. Jesus can satisfy. That's the end of the sentence. Nobody else can say that. God can't satisfy. Do you know it? Do not pray anymore for God to change your circumstance so that you be satisfied with your circumstance. Pray for God to satisfy you in your circumstance because he can satisfy you in any circumstance. God can satisfy you. If you're in jail, if you're in prison, to satisfy you in your job when it's going to look like this conversation is going to be weird, God can satisfy you when your boss looks at you funny boss because of what you're doing. God can satisfy you when you're wealthy. God can satisfy you if you're not. God can satisfy you if you're in heartache. God can satisfy you if you're in peril, if you're in tribulation or famine or nakedness or danger or sore. God can satisfy you if it is said that we are being killed all day long for his sake. For it is written about us that we are being led as sheep to the slaughter. God can satisfy you and there's nothing that can separate you from his love. The gospel is preached through the way that we live our lives, guys. And if we live our lives like we're being satisfied by the car, how's the world going to know that it's God that satisfies me? Think about it. The gospel is preached through your life. Is it God that satisfies you? The Sanhedrin need to hear it. The world needs to know it. And we need to say it. Okay. So now by our circumstance, in our circumstance, God can satisfy you. Give in to him. For there is salvation in no one. Let's pray. Jesus, you just come in and break down our walls of control. You come in and break down our walls of, we've just been holding our hands closed so tight. And you speak softly to us and your kindness leads us to repentance. And you let us just, lead us to open up our hands and let go. Just open up your hand and let go. You speak to years of hurt. See a people who are standing, Father, and just like in Revelations, 
casting crowns down, saying, Worthy is the Lamb to receive the reward for his suffering. And they keep singing it. Worthy is the Lamb to receive the reward for his sufferings. Worthy is the Lamb, just like the Moravians said it when they sold themselves into slavery and they got on the boat, shouted out to their families and said, Worthy is the Lamb to receive the reward for his sufferings. Worthy of the only gift that I can give is myself. You're worthy of that, Father. Jesus, you're worthy of that for your sufferings. You've spoken clearly to us through your word, and we're about to speak right back to you with our song.